मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं Hi, I am Akshay. Hi, this is Saurabh and you are listening to the Founder Thesis podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country and we want to learn how to build a unicorn. Anshu Sharma was living the dream. He was working at one of the most prestigious VCs of the country where he backed investments in startups like Freshmen Line Road, Crafts Villa, among others. But he had a thesis on the untapped potential of the offline retail space and was looking for a strong startup to back in this space. When he could not find a good enough venture to back, he decided to start Magic Pin with the aim of building a data-driven performance marketing engine for the offline retail world. And today, Magic Pin serves. millions of retailers with a whole host of innovative products here's anshu talking about his journey from being a techie working on deep tech products to creating innovative products that empower mom and pop retailers i joined huge in fact uh, in late 2000 itself i think jan 2001 i had joined them so this is pre pasta so i joined them then because they had this program to say you can do your last semester with us in fact i remember the the project that i was a part of uh it was the product team within hue so there was a bunch of things there is a lot of services business that they do but they had one team which was building their own proprietary products that would be sell and they were building protocol stacks in the voice over ip area um and and that again was a very uh good experience because the moment you get in there there was a lot of work so they would throw you at the deep end I did a bunch of things that were in sandbox, but soon enough they needed people, and they could see that okay, it seems like he's getting hang of it. So they started to give more. Um, I was used for around two and a half years that I was there, and I I enjoyed that a lot. Right, this this satisfaction of building and seeing how to build at uh, commercial grade, uh, because those stacks that you're building, those were getting deployed. Uh, I filed uh, my first patent there, oh, wow. and that was also uh, very early. They like usually you would not get an option to file a patent. I was at the right place at the right time. Um, uh, there were a number of uh, what was defined as the Internet Engineering Task Force (ITF). Uh, we could we could submit drafts on that. So they, I think, within that context, I had a great run. What I realized that I felt though saturated because you know two years uh, out of college I had. seen that i'd built that product i have and at some point owning some of those completely end to end by myself but i felt that there is a lot more that i haven't seen that i want to go out and and, uh, I, and there was no other reason because other than that i the run at hughes was great but i i chose to uh, try something different and i i, I found a job at motorola in bangalore and i took that uh, i remember the director at hughes saying that what's I don't understand. Your family is here. Your life is here. What what don't you like about it for you to go and put yourself uh, into a different city altogether? Um, and I didn't have a very good answer other than that I don't know what I've not seen. I want to go out and see more. And then I joined uh, Motorola in Bangalore, and uh, 
the the first thing I realized when I got to Bangalore, um, and this is the first time I was living out of my home, right? That you need to solve for food three times in a day. <laughs> I'd never thought of it in that way, but now I had to. The other thing which happened while I was at Bangalore uh, was that uh, I somehow realized that technology is is a great place to be. But if uh, this continued quest for needing to break out, I just felt that to an extent is still constrained. Uh, being and this is 2003 2004, huh? uh, so you either go out and Motorola had a bunch of those opportunities. Motorola had Schomburg uh, office uh, in Chicago where they were doing a lot of work and a lot of work in India used to happen in uh, collaboration. In fact, even uh, while at Hughes, right, there were enough opportunities. We were representing Hughes at a bunch of international forums. Actually, I got to do my first international flight. I did my first flight to Paris. That was something <laughs> which was very interesting. And, you know, all of this was a result of working on something which has global demand. So, to that extent, it was very satisfying and that continued to be true at uh, Motorola as well. But I just felt I'm missing something which uh, would let me break out. And that was the context in which I, I wrote CAT um, in 2003. And I, I got through almost to, I think, to all of the IMs. And that seemed to me like a good thing to go out and do next. That's how I got into MDPA. And that was after three years of work experience. So it was not as if I'm going in blind, but I was going in blind to the extent I didn't have any understanding or context of what businesses are. Literally, I would see Economic Times and I would see crores and I would not understand what a crore means. Then I think the, the time at Ahmedabad was amazing to the extent that somehow Suddenly, like uh, in Matrix, Neo would start to see the code everywhere, right? I could start to see PNLs everywhere. I could see one with yeah. the would have a PNL. I can see his cost, I can see his revenue, I can see his marketing, right? And so, just like I think uh, when I started to study computer science way back in college, I, I had a similar kind of awakening studying business here. And, uh, uh, and this time around, other than, of course, uh, um, academics, right? We could get together a few like minded people four or five of us and we practically made it our business to to win almost uh, any event that was happening in any competitive circuit and uh, we won a bunch of things through the through the course of those two years in india in singapore um, um and even in my first year when uh, when usually people are just focusing internally on ACADS, we were the first team among the second year students who could could win Tata Business Leadership Award. At that point in time, I was very much uh, conscious uh, about what I want to get out of Ahmedabad uh, and uh, we could find a bunch of like-minded people who could together work towards that. And the two years was, uh, was quite satisfying. Um, at, at the end of that two years, um, I, I was fortunate to get an offer from Bain & Company. Bain was setting up its shop in India uh, and they want to help build the India office even though they didn't have an office in India back then. So I joined Bain in Boston. Uh, this was in 2006. Also, um, at the same time, I had also got married because I had known uh, my wife, Anjali, at that point for five years or so. So she and I had joined Hughes together. And I had been in touch with, with her throughout, through different places, right? Through Motorola when I was in Bangalore, then when I was at Indubar. And she had been also in different parts of the world. As a, as a software engineer and then a telecom. And then we, 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 we also got married and then we uh, spent the next one year in Boston, a little over a year in Boston. At the end of that one year, uh, Bain was in a prominent position in India 
and there was an opportunity then what were you doing at bain in that one year in boston uh, so uh, a bunch of interesting things but uh, i would say my time was kind of half and half divided into one part was pretty pretty ring fence so bain has this uh, this advisory uh, team which uh, adv- which gives commercial advice uh, or does commercial diligence if a private equity investor is investing in a company they would ask bain to come and give their point of view so i was part of that team that would give this point of view so i think i spent around 6 8 months in that uh, group and every we would see a different company so like company after company i remember in my time at bain i had done some 22 diligences so i'd looked at so many spaces sectors so you kind of get a knack of very quickly to get to here is this company in this market what are the three things that really matter that let you understand whether it's a good investment or not or what do you need to believe in to this investment so that framework uh, i started to build while i was in boston and then i did uh, the first six months in fact that i was there i was working uh, for a pharmaceutical giant i did that and I, in fact i continued to do privating once i was back in india also for bain what were some of the industries that you looked at in india from technology uh, consumer uh, retail um, industries so you would figure out what is a good valuation for this company and give that as advice to your client that uh, a invest or not and b invest at what price ha huh, the, the second part we would shy away from doing then would we would we would kind of like rephrase that to say if you were to invest at price and expect so much return you need to believe that these three things need to happen but you you stay on commercials or or, or on the business aspects which you probably have a better handle Uh, and then i also worked with uh, with just uh, once the the investment side of the market crashed i did a fair bit of work in the consumer telecom retail space also which were traditional clients large companies public and private who are building businesses and are looking for advice around the the specific area that like what kind of like reorganization or optimization that kind of work so those kind of things also i remember there was one uh, telecom giant which was bidding for 4G pricing so we've set up this massive model and then understanding of how to bid what do you expect as revenues how much should you bid i think all of those kind of things i remember there was a toy company which um, was uh, a, a company that was a very strong brand but their penetration in terms of revenue was not as much what do they need to do get to capture the kind of demand they intensify so i think those were the kind of problems that we would work with with these uh, companies and it would be fairly uh, deep operational kind of work uh, but also at the same time being um, specific about it to say these are the items that we should prioritize over the next 3 to 6 months to start to see the results okay so uh, you know some of the other founders that i've spoken to who also have a consulting background typically end up feeling frustrated in a consulting role because they don't own the outcome did you also feel that way I would say frustrated would be would be a strong word, but yeah, you know, I I did what I spoke of right up front, right? Uh, thing about building is what I was missing, and uh, Peter is great at a place like that, especially Bain, super uh, sharp about how to make the people. And in fact, that was the hard, that was the reason um, it took a long time um, uh, for me to also get to this answer that I would explore something. Um, so I would maybe hesitate from saying frustrated, but maybe more. this thing around that is this what i want to do 10 years out 20 years out 
and that answer was not that no this is it right i i kind of longed to be able to come closer to ground and build things unfortunately that opportunity um you you don't get as much of especially i think that's an opportunity you can pursue once um, you are maybe a senior partner where you're building a practice right you that building is of a different kind it's not building a product um uh, and i think in somewhere around that course right i met dejol who runs the lightfeed he had he had taken over the office and he was looking for like minded individuals to come and join him and singly uh, he had worked at bain really long back and uh, i think he had some affinity to meet people from so i met him and that that process uh, took some 7 months um, i was uh, you know venture as an asset class is really nice this is 2009 that we had so uh, i have a few questions here um in your linkedin it says you are a venture partner at lightspeed uh so does one need to put in one's own capital to become a venture partner in a vc firm or i mean how does it operate or are you getting a fixed salary and a percentage of whatever exit gets generated uh, you know and tell me about lightspeed also yeah so i can talk about the venture model in general so the venture model is basically based on what is referred to as that you you get 2% of management fee so if you deploy 100 million dollars uh, as a platform you have uh, 2 million dollars to cover the expenses uh, for the assets you've deployed plus you get 20% of the uh, of the upside you generated so if you converted that 100 million into 500 million the 400 million of upside that got generated you get to keep 20% of that so that's 80 million and this 100 million is raised from hnis and edge nice but also institutional funds right there would be let's say pension funds in in us and europe would be keen to get exposure some of their capital to venture risk or emerging market risk and thus they would they would want you to invest that money on their behalf um, so those are referred to as limited partners in the industry and the invest the the people who are making the investment they are referred to as general partners this is like a us based entity or like like what's the history of lightspeed from that lightspeed is a i would say a much older uh, uh, setup uh, this was their eighth fund so every fund you can imagine has uh, let's say a life cycle of 3 years so this was 24 years that the senior partners or the founders had been investing in the in the space they had uh, lightspeed had originally started from uh, us and then they set up in israel china and india was the newest market that they were got it okay so uh, tell me about the lightspeed experience what uh, were you doing there what kind of thesis did you form what kind of investments did you participate in what were the hits and the misses so i was there for close to 6 years so a full cycle what we did in that 6 years is around 10 investments that i was a part of um and uh, uh, the first investment i remember was uh, a company called um, Indian Energy Exchange, which we started to do the work in 2010, is when the investment actually happened. An example of the kind of investments Lightspeed was going to do. Power is a very asset-intensive sector. Investments that were happening in power at that point in time, privatization uh, of power that was happening right over the last five, six years or ten years, and the investments were largely around uh, creating power assets, investing right? in power gen. But Lightspeed, we went on to find a company which is an exchange for power. it's an exchange that trades spot power so someone sitting in chatisgarh can for sitting in let's say gurgaon uh they can they can discover 
the and the national grid kind of clears that um business because first of the crow of a country needing more and more power and uh, needing the right kind of recovery of that power you're not having to get your capital stuck in those fixed assets but you're thinking in a very athlete way of getting exposure to that same growing market and financial services like our thesis is that we are working on the day ahead market then we'll work on like the futures the forwards the derivatives right the entire stack of what would exist for this commodity that ability to somehow find a solution in all of these days. and some part of that is you know also to do with just uh, being um, um focused on the outcome and doing whatever uh, resourcefulness is just one part which makes them able to get to the outcome but not not relenting right there are, there are a bunch of really high quality people around us in the indian i would say tech ecosystem now and all of them show the same traits right that they've seen the opportunity they've gone aggressively after it and they're just unrelenting they would not give up they'll attract more resources towards them hmm hmm okay so you know there's this concept uh, i i don't know if you read this book called loon shots which talks of a p type and an s type innovation p type being a product innovation through technology s type being a innovation in the process or the system uh, you know deriving more efficiency so which of your investments were backing s type innovation and which of them were backing the p type innovation yeah i'm i'm not aware of that framework but i think whatever we were doing was more uh, more product and in the short term you know operations or structure could help it uh, but fundamentally we were believing that at at a scale which is much bigger than this product can will, will just create such a deep moat that others would find it right for example if you think of indian energy exchange it's not that power trading was not but when you come to this model and you kick start the engine somehow and gets to a certain scale from that point onward it's on its own on its own turn and in fact really high quality companies in india uh, where we could not find that that you call it a network effect or that p effect right kick in we we did not make those in largely because like as as venture investors of our focus was more to find where do you find that upside right um versus uh, versus saying that this is a really strong execution but that becomes a lot more like a private than a than a venture like okay and typically what was the kind of uh, investment that you did like at what stage was it like seed series a and, you know like where did light speed come in seed a and b i would say but um we realized that anytime you go towards b it is really hard to get the price right we intentionally created this mix of coming in really early seed and a like lime road that i mentioned to you one of the stocks like all of these companies right we you we were coming in really early and we could come in because we believed in the space and knew the entrepreneur right and over a period once you have seen enough of that pattern once you formed your thesis it becomes possible to take that leap of faith and that's when you kind of get paid um uh, in terms of the returns that accumulate and uh, did all the investments live up to their potential like what were some of the misses yeah yeah i think misses were on both sides huh things that we did and they didn't result in what we thought they could and things that we um um that we did not do and they, they went on to become pretty big opportunities across the board right i would first talk about the latter that uh, we had uh, and and the, like i think we looked at all the big names that you see around you right uh, i remember i especially to call out ola was one company that we looked at very closely at different points in time um zomato we had an opportunity to invest at one point in time 
and um, one thing which we didn't factor as well in is that there is this demand and supply equation uh, where if you get the number of really high quality companies in the country is so low that if you are part of building one the 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 return on that kind of gets taken care of because there's more capital that wants to come in the same thing that we were seeing that we were getting priced out on on companies that were further along, along i think we would we, there was an option to see that right if you for example look at flipkart like the economics were not working out for a very long time the the concept of e-commerce in india and being the leader in that is valuable by itself regardless of the cash flow that is generating in the short term the strategic value is meaningful just clarity on that piece and confidence in making such investment which will be backloaded um in their returns and the returns would be based off the strategic value that's getting created and at scale you know i'm not talking about an acquisition getting done but that realization to an extent dawned later on uh, after having seen some of that story get played out and that's that's more of a like i think from my perspective one one thing hmm okay why did you say no to zomato like what was the thesis behind that in most of these cases the reward right the price that we were seeing to the current numbers that were available it required us to believe that there is a leap that can be taken at that point in time i remember it was the leap was that uh, it would be successful in many international markets to put together and they did a pretty good job at it right and they they've gone on to build so many things that couldn't have been conceptualized then we couldn't uh, we couldn't get to that same conviction and answer but it seems uh, right that there are there are many more things at play and with disproportionate amount of capital which sometimes becomes available as a result of scarcity of high quality assets right you can build things that were not part of the original um, vision that you had for the company and i think that that's that's where value sits right and that's where as investors once you're inside the company there is so much more that can be done if you've got the right team in the right market the the degrees that you can maneuver right they just expand meaning and what are some of the investments which are yet to live up to their potential like which are still on the way where uh, as compared to what you might have projected yeah no see we didn't have all successes uh, we had invested in another uh, fashion commerce company called fashionara alongside helion and uh, arun really accomplished high quality entrepreneur who built reliance trends before this and was at madura if i remember correctly even prior to that so so really high quality person who'd seen how to build a business in this area i think uh, when the markets become tough right um it it's just hard and the onslaught continues from a mintra and a i think jabong there's so many people who came in that even if you've got something really high quality like they will just drown you with the amount of money that can be thrown into the market so um unfortunately we ran out of money okay so uh, typically these investments that you did were they inbound inquiries or outbound like did you form a thesis and then go out and find companies or were these people who were like writing into you it's always a mix i think um, yeah, the inbound um, the quality on inbound usually as invest everyone would reach out to the separating the noise from the signal is a hard thing. so a lot of investments that you end up doing are really long term relationships that you've nurtured that halt in an investment subsequent and that was true with with all of these right? i spoke to you about uh, suchi also right that was an introduction which was made and i i think having said that if i think about a referral from a peer who's investing 
and or someone in the industry who says there's this really high quality person who's building this i think that kind of inbound is high in quality and really high likely to succeed but to get that inbound you need to do a lot of outbound right you should have gone and built that network um and and it's because you've built that network you have those conversations going is that when that person gets to know something in their space which is of relevance to you they would kind of reach out to you sometimes it's just a question it's your opinion that they are looking for that's just basically keeping the network alive by gen- genuinely trying to be of help to people who you connect with and some of those things will lead to an investment which is inbound at the same time you know the more popular assets in the market those would be to an extent shopped around or you might need to be ahead or somehow get to have your leg in before someone else does and that's that's equally important as an investor you can't uh, it, it like the investor role is 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 an interesting role while it seems like you're kind of looking at stuff that's coming to you actually the amount of work that it takes to build that network um and um, and the uh, the hustle with which you need to continue to invest that time in in the hope that something will come out of it on the other side right that's just a very very different part like a sales job even though you're giving money it is part like a sales job where you're continuously building that network right building those rails through which you will get those opportunities from technology uh, consumer uh, retail um industrials so you would figure out what is a good valuation for this company and give that as advice to your client that uh, a invest or not and b invest at what price ha huh, the, the second part we would shy away from doing then would we would we would kind of like rephrase that to say if you were to invest at price and expect so much return you need to believe that these three things need to happen but you you stay on commercials or or, or on the business aspects which you probably have a better handle uh, and then i also worked with uh, with just uh, once the the investment side of the market crashed i did a fair bit of work in the consumer telecom retail space also which were traditional clients large companies public and private who are building businesses and are looking for advice around the the specific area that like what kind of like reorganization or optimization that kind of work so those kind of things also i remember there was one uh, telecom giant which was bidding for 4g pricing so we set up this massive model and then understanding of how to bid what do you expect as revenue how much should you bid i think all of those kind of things i remember there was a toy company which um, was uh, a, a company that was a very strong brand but their penetration in terms of revenue was not as much what do they need to do get to capture the kind of demand the intensity so i think those were the kind of problems that we would work with these uh, companies and it would be fairly uh, deep operational kind of work uh, but also at the same time being um, specific about it to say these are the items that we should prioritize over the next 3 to 6 months to start to see the results come okay so uh, you know some of the other founders that i've spoken to who also have a consulting background typically end up feeling frustrated in a consulting role because they don't own the outcome did you also feel that way i would say frustrated would be would be a strong word but yeah you know i i did what i spoke of right up front right talking uh, about building is what i was missing and uh, peter is great at a place like that, especially bain is super uh, sharp about how to make the people and in fact that was the hard that was the reason um, it took a long time 
um, uh, for me to also get to this answer that I would explore something. Um, so I would maybe hesitate from saying frustrated, but maybe more this thing around that is this what I want to do 10 years out, 20 years out. And that answer was not that, no, this is it, right? I, I kind of longed to be able to come closer to ground and build things. Unfortunately, that opportunity um, you you don't get as much of, especially I think that's an opportunity you can pursue once um, you are maybe a senior partner where you're building a practice, right? You That building is of a different kind. It's not building a product. Um, uh, and I think in somewhere around that course, right, I met Bejal, who runs the Lightspeed. He had, he had taken over the office and he was looking for like-minded individuals to come and join him. Interestingly, uh, he had worked at Bain really long back. And uh, I think he had some affinity to meet people. So I met him and that that process uh, took some seven months. Um, I was, uh, you know, venture as an asset class is really nascent. This is 2009 that we are doing. So uh, I have a few questions here. Um, in your LinkedIn, it says you're a venture partner at Lightspeed. Uh, so does one need to put in one's own capital to become a venture partner in a VC firm? Or, I mean, how does it operate? Or are you uh, getting a fixed salary and a percentage of whatever exit gets generated? Uh, you know, and tell me about Lightspeed also. Yeah, so I can talk about the venture model in general. So the venture model is basically based on what is referred to as that you, you get 2% of management fee. So if you deploy $100 million uh, as a platform, you have uh, $2 million to cover the expenses uh, for the assets you've deployed. Plus, you get 20% of the uh, of the upside you generated. So if you converted that $100 million into $500 million, the $400 million of upside that got generated, you get to keep 20% of that. So that's $80 million. And this $100 million is raised from HNIs and... HNIs, but also institutional funds, right? There would be, let's say, pension funds in in US and Europe would be keen to get exposure for some of their capital to venture risk or emerging market risk, and thus they would they would want you to invest that money on their behalf. Um, so those are referred to as limited partners in the industry, and the invest the the people who are making the investment they are referred to as general partners. This is like a US based entity, or like like what's the history of Lightspeed? From that, Lightspeed is a, I would say, a much older uh, uh, setup. Uh, this was their eighth fund. So every fund you can imagine has, uh, let's say, a life cycle of three years. So this was 24 years that the senior partners or the founders had been investing in the in the space. They had uh, Lightspeed had originally started from uh, US, and then they set up in Israel, China, and India was the newest market that they were. Got it. Okay. So, uh, tell me about the Lightspeed experience. What uh, were you doing there? What kind of thesis did you form? What kind of investments did you participate in? What were the hits and the misses? So, I was there for close to six years. So, uh, for the cycle. What we did in that six years is around 10 investments that I was a part of. Um, and uh, uh, the first investment I remember was uh, a company called... Um, Indian Energy Exchange, which we started to do the work in 2010 is when the investment actually happened. An example of the kind of investments Lightspeed was going to do, power is a very asset-intensive sector. Investments that were happening in power 
at that point in time uh, utilization of power that was happening right over the last 5 6 years or 10 years and the investments were largely around uh, creating power assets setting right? in power gen but right feed we went on to find a company which is an exchange for power it's an exchange that trades spot power so someone sitting in chatisgarh can for sitting in let's say gurgaon uh, they can they can discover the and the national grid kind of clears that um full business because most of the crew of a country needing more and more power and uh, needing the right kind of recovery of that power you're not having to get your capital stuck in those fixed assets but you're thinking in a very athletic way of getting exposure to that same growing market and financial services like our thesis is that we are working on the day ahead market then we'll work on like, the futures the forwards the derivatives right the entire stack of what would exist for this company that ability to somehow find a solution in all of these days and some part of that is you know also to do with just uh, being um, um focused on the outcome and doing whatever uh, resourcefulness is just one part which makes them able to get to the outcome but not not relenting right there are, there are a bunch of really high quality people around us in the indian i would say tech ecosystem now and all of them just show the same traits right that they've seen the opportunity they've gone aggressively after it and they're just unrelenting they would not give up they'll attract more resources towards them mm-hmm. okay okay so uh, you know you said that in inbound there is a signal to noise issue and there's a lot of noise there how does uh, a startup uh, looking to attract funding overcome this you know is, is there a specific uh, instance you recall of someone who overcame that which was just like a like an inbound maybe a cold email or something or or is it generally that it's best to find someone who can introduce you i think it's best to find someone who can introduce you and it's not hard now given no some the word goes from them cold email having said that like if you're losing time then a cold email i i know out of uh, cold inbound and the like everything is looked at nothing is not um, so so if i think and the likelihood of success if that investor is actually working in that space so if someone's invested in that space they would likely want to know about anything else that is happening if they have a point of view someone's looking at for example let's say online music streaming some point in time involved uh, they would like to know anything that is moving in that. and if you find the right reaching out cold to them right now if someone is investing in Let's say microfinance companies and reaching out to them cold with let's say the online streaming music that will not yield. Doing homework, whether it is around building a network through which someone would put in a good word, or it is to do the research on the person who would be relevant. Hmm. 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 Okay. Got it. Very useful advice. Okay. So then tell me about how Magic Pin came about. Like you were, I am sure you were enjoying yeah. your time at Lightspeed. What made you want to uh do something of your own yeah yeah i think that that largely came from um um it, it was as i said right even before joining lightspeed i told you right that it had been uh, kind of nurturing these aspirations and just that at lightspeed lightspeed became that uh it, it's um just that i and i spent some time in china that was actually a trigger point for me. i remember rajan anandan from iimi at that point he was, he took a delegation from india everyone this is 2014 late 2014 this is amazing it is almost mind blowing the the way in which people were thinking and whatever you can think you can build and way right all of these things that you would imagine 
were actually building and looking at that i realized that india is really in its infancy even um it's true even but uh, if if i were to um thus go on to invest a great way uh, uh, to to see what can happen right and to play this tone ascent right but the other way would be to go on to build if that's what i would enjoy and uh, it was it was a very interesting window in time right where i had seen and experienced that and investing is uh, is a, is a great place to be high quality risk adjusted it pays pretty well but i just felt that if i don't go out to build then i will kind of regret that for the next as many years that i don't and at some point you come that i felt this is the last opportunity if i were to get any and if there was one thing i could do what would that be um and and that's how i and uh, having been at lightspeed for 6 years i'd seen this recipe right of of people markets and capital kind of play out over and over again um so i was quite um, uh like uh, like i was this time around it was not that i did not know what had to be done i'd been prospecting this space at lightspeed for a while which was the offline retreat that there's an opportunity where we would have backed a team if you would have found the right team i got convinced that i should go out to build and this was the idea that was the top and we had seen it for a very long time I knew what we were. and i could to get the right team initial team together fortunately which basically meant that uh, my ex colleague at uh, bain and company um bridge was subsequently at a startup at that point nexus was uh, was looking to step out and build something he'd been there before i was there and i he would ask me uh investing is slow why do you do that why don't you get it? why don't you do it? fortunately at that point in time i got to that answer and he was also on the same answer so we could converge and we could say yeah this is the right space to so uh, what was the thesis in 2015 when you started it out what did you want to build retail right discovery for offline retail like let me tell you about math now this is the problem that offline is the is 95% of the retail market right most of retail gets consumed in the offline leave the last but uh, e-commerce is 5% of retail and that has seen so much investments you technology everything is tight you visit an amazon product the the ad for that page can follow you wherever so they've really nailed it down to who should be marketed what um but if you think of offline it's still kind of largely driven by very broad tools like above the line mark what happens is that going in the right place or not and that's because there's no data on offline retail so offline retail in spite of being 95% of retail is dark in terms of, and if that data was made available then this market could be transformed if you could understand who's spending how much where etc right there's so much more that so that was the abstract of it that we would build um, a platform that is users retailers and manufacturers and we would create proposition that are win win for all which is the retailer is happy to spend because he's getting the manufacturer is happy to spend because he's able to reach the right customers say the message to them that he, and the users are happy because not only are they discovering all of these interesting things but they are getting rewarded for it. so the way we built the platform we built we built a rewards program which is powered by our app where for sending their shopping receipt our users will earn magic pin points and these points can be then used back at our partner network. the interesting thing about the model is that as we keep aggregating users purchase habit we are able to form this graph on who spending how much where frequency category um specific SKUs. and then we can take back and match these preferences with our partners and allow redemption of the points that we had given to our users for sending us those receipts to be burned at those it's like a two way match 
between retailer and user and kind of tries to match both of them to the right one and to a retailer it becomes really beautiful because in the past if the retailer was to spend on google facebook things right like in most cases they would not have a way to spend as much but even if they would right they would not know where that money went you spend 10000 google will just eat it and no one would but with magic pen if they send that 10 they get to see the return of that 10 and if we are delivering a 4x return on that 10000 rupees they will see the 40000 rupees worth of bill and they can track it through the receipts you would have shared or to the points that our users would come and use at that so this performance marketing for offline right or you think of it as google adwords that is the heart of what matters and that was that was a newer entrant started with retailers then we realized that there is one more entity that's playing a very interest and now we are working with the itc png um and because they are also in that same ecosystem and they are also spending in a way that they don't get to so you get points for going to that store but you earn more points if you find this sku in in your basket and we are reading the receipts right so we are able to understand that and users could uh, submit any bill or bill of partners like the kickstart of any we do is that users can submit any bill wherever they are going whatever they are and our way of acquiring supply is on the other side to go and say that to retailers and we don't even go and say we we whatsapp them and we would send that link over whatsapp which would show pictures of their customers the spends that those customers are doing at the retailer store how his average order value differentiates versus other competition in that neighborhood his street rate versus competition he's never seen his business and he doesn't even know us but we immediately build credibility on the back of data that we have and then our pitch to him is fairly straightforward we are not even asking for upfront money we say that sign up with us and then any business that we drive to you you can pay us a percentage of and because of the fact that a moment the moment a partner signs up he would now be accepting magic pin points we are able to immediately drive demand to that partner okay so uh, where did you pilot this and how did the pilot go i remember the initial campaigns we did were um out of sitting in the light speed office right that we were just trying out if i run a facebook campaign to say send me your uh, your read from a cafe coffee day and i'll recharge your phone i just wanted to see if people are going to do that or not and not read actually i that that point we were testing selfies are people going to send selfies because we wanted to build in um and we oh, massive number we did that pizza hut we did that for kfc all the models so this question that will people hesitate to send their pictures to get reward points right that seemed like a no brainer and our model throughout the journey of building company has been to say what are the key risks let's identify the key and then let's solve for each of those right let's kind of keep going after them one by one um such that we in fact the first version of the application we had this was largely on facebook huh? we didn't even have anything the second version was also we didn't have anything we took a number on whatsapp and hacked that on the back end with uh, freshdesk and uh, said people that if you whatsapp your picture phone number and we were doing this in delhi in summer so it was hot and we people walking in the street we said that if you were to whatsapp uh your picture and bill today to this number we will recharge your phone right again we see so in the first day some 100 transactions came in like our our, our this hack together backend that broke because we couldn't approve that many right then the next version we had was uh, we kind of took an open source chat application and uh, to people who were coming on whatsapp we said that on your repeat transaction you please go to this like acquisition was still happening on whatsapp but we said your know, next transaction please do it on this app it's still chat but at least it's now our chat chat because whatsapp will keep blocking us right they will realize that these guys are doing thing funny here they'll block us 
and we kept coming up with ways to not getting unblocked but everything will have its life right and it was too much. so he said let's take our repeat users out of it let's keep using it as an app and uh, uh, and uh, and that that worked well um it was just now our chat so we didn't have any issues but our backend remained then we did one and this is all happening in the first two three we kept iterating actually the the first app came after the first three months and the first app which is similar to what we have right now that came after but we had learned so much in that period i remember the next thing that we launched is in our chat app we kind of created a magic wand and when you press the magic wand you would get pictures of people from around you back so not just giving pictures to on points but now you could get pictures back and we saw a lot of people were clicking those like pressing that wand button again and we saw people who were pressing the wand button they will stay with the platform they they are getting more joy and fun out of it so in fact our first version of the app ended up happening the feed which was this interesting pictures from around you as the home page because we found that the engagement was as big a lever i can transact only so many times in a day but i can open the app to see what's going on who's doing what many more times so i think we, we i think that was the philosophy how we kept kind of building layers and layers at this point uh, at the back end that fresh test because it's fully automated machine learned wherever we need decision manual intervention we have like our own implementation or having someone approve those things that that piece still has i would say legacy from 5 year old opd used kind of custom what we are doing and then kind of kept building on it. um yeah that so that that's a story of how we started and most people uh, who who are around in the company still right from those times would remember that fondly i think the things that all of them had to do to get the the flywheel spinning but that taught us a lot it taught us about how to improvise the initial product how to get any market in fact we never marketed on facebook because our primary marketing method was on which we kind of finished in our initial and once a market would have the first initial 100 200 people i, I mean a locality right when i say market it's really a small people would refer their friends in because it's an interesting proposition you see and bill and you get points for it yeah why not so that how most of the growth happened 90% of our acquisitions were happening with that and that continued to be the a lot of those learnings right just whatever was working we just imbibed that there were a bunch of things that didn't work but whatever was working we kind of added that to our toolkit and so how much have you raised so far like in terms of funds we've raised uh, uh, put together 37 million dollars so far and uh, what was this how much of this was used to fund the uh, the points that customers would earn how much was used for other stuff like how did you use these funds interestingly we've never been very far away on uh, on our economics right we've always been pretty close to um uh, making the the economics work and that discipline was a result of just like both bridge and my backgrounds right like let's build a business that will stand on its own feet um and so to that extent most of the the investment and a lot of that money is uh, not a lot but the last round that we raised 7 million that but a lot of the investment went into building the product building the the markets that were important and less into the let's say just the burn the investment in fact i would say has gone into building uh, the system which is now scaling and how many people use uh, like are you at liberty to tell us stuff like that yeah we on 5 million on the platform and i would say that the the rate of growth i spoke to you 
people finding the more demand gets more supply more supply gets even more demand right so it's just uh, once you've got it yeah and there is there's a lot more because our our core tg is this 18 maybe 28 30 kind of age group which is which is looking to experience life um is value conscious which time for, is to an extent being quoted by most brands want to speak to them. and and that that segment to an extent like tech savvy and a bunch of other things but if you think of the concept we have which is that of savings it's an even more universal concept like how guys for us even people beyond that age into 30 it's very relevant but our mode of engagement on the app was designed for this segment our opportunities are actually a lot more around okay how do we lower the bar in terms of the usage of the app for an even larger segment such that like the proposition of savings let everyone use that's one vector of growth other there are vectors of growth around more cities we are still focused mostly on the metros even though we are but there are many more cities that are available there are um, many more categories that are available for example food and fashion was a very big part of our monetization even though we are seeing transactions but a big part of our monetization fashion and because that was working so well um we we didn't build monetization in other categories but over the last 3 months we've actually managed to build monetization on those other categories we are now providing them with online delivery capability to accept an order but also marketing for that capability it's not sufficient in this environment to just send them footfall because the macro is it's important enable them to see where the world is uh, make them capable of accepting online orders and then kind of sending demand to them on the online order side let me just build one more piece on that that we realized that like we were sending orders to them and then gave them the full stack from payments to order management to a third party integration they we will generate the order you will see it you you pack it and keep it ready we'll collect the payment for you and uh, then we'll get someone to pick it up from your store and deliver it to you, you do this part out but then we realized that in doing that we are bundling our marketing with the rest of this so we've now separated that rest of the saas stack out and kind of given it to retailers at zero marketing we've had like in a way of shopify for retailers right go store.orderhere.io we've created those kind of white label links and any business that comes to the store on that url we don't charge any so and i i do believe uh, and this is true not just for all retailers but even for large retailers right omni channel was thing that everyone wanted to but everyone was busy servicing their that's changing now that's changing now because consumers are looking to place their orders without coming to them. and and that's the need of the hour for all retailers right like if they want to be relevant in this world where there's an amazon there's a geo right there's a big basket they would they would need to be equipped with the right technology and they're keen to be equipped so that's and we are saying that okay we are not kind of uh, pushing our marketing to you to use that you have your own marketing like here is technology that you can so uh, i want to understand this offering a bit better uh, so this is like a self service platform where a retailer can list his inventory and share a link with his uh, neighborhood customer base through whatsapp or whatever and tell them place your order here and when they uh, go to that link then they can also make payment at the payment comes directly to the retailer's bank account and you have a collaboration with some logistics company which takes care of the logistics and that gets charged to the retailer is that what it this is it is it is that it's built on that that you've got there right let me build on that in fnb it is exact because the number of items in the inventory is the knows the the store the items right and he's he's trained on that concept with azomato in case of grocery 
because the grocer and we all know to leave in many he can't do catalog also he doesn't have the time in the day right for him to list i have all of this and then i know the stock keeping units also on all of this not going to happen we've kind of done it differently we've said that you know like the the dominant for ordering in the pre is to kind of pick up the phone and say mujhe ye chahiye ye chahiye ye chahiye like create a list of 10 items and give it to them you would say ye hai ye nahi hai ye nahi hai lekin aap ye le lo we try to simulate that experience here where you create your list we've got the universe of sku right um, but give this uh, list to the retailer after getting it from the consumer and the retailer in the past we know the prices he's quoted for each of those items so we pre populate those prices are if he's never then we kind of suggest a price to him this is what we are seeing everywhere else and he can then with the minimum number of clicks say like suggest replacement say i don't have it and then send the itemized bill back to the consumer and then the consumer can pay and then we'll attach uh, the fill rate issue will really you in case of categories like grocery right i ordered 10 items but i got only that gets to an extent solved because i'm not paying for what i what was not available like the payment is not up payment is after the right very much like how you'll order so and i think that's a very important because for this market right it will it, it like giving this retailer a catalog for him to populate will never work right i i think if they are trying and there are people attempting that but that's just kind of overlaying an existing paradigm onto a new market where it doesn't okay so uh, how does the bill go back to the customer is it an app where they receive a notification or is it email or what or the user is on magic pen app of course it goes on the magic pen app they can see the itemized bill in case of these white label links that we created where the user might not have an app in that case same page from which the user placed the order the same page shows the status and the response from the merchant we would send a sms the moment the itemized bill that link the user on okay okay this is super interesting uh, but right now you're making no money from this because you're giving it all free or do you take a like a payment processing fees or anything like that like in a way this is the base offering on our stack the next offering is marketing so uh, we we are hopeful that if we enable these merchants to do business online then some point and some of them will need services around marketing which is what we are there to offer and we've kind of finished that from that point and that is sufficient right like to us that that upsell uh, create enough margin opportunity for us and while we are not making as much money in doing this but we are creating a future pipeline revenue but we are not losing money doing this. and our marginal cost of servicing this merchant is pretty close to zero hmm 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 so this is like the freemium model basically yeah you can you can think of it as that it, it does many more things though and my sense is that the new that so i spoke of this example of an it when you go and order from even a white label link of merchant that itc or png offer is sitting on that store right and it's a great for the merchant great thing for the merchant brand and a great thing for the consumer right we are just able to bring it at the right place and we are seeing that those orders are also picking up so we've, we've in a way created that revenue stream that existed so uh, i'm curious on where this came to i mean where this idea originated from like you know was it like demand driven that people asked you make something like this or did you think of it on your own or you know because this is fairly innovative and, and i'm curious to hear about how this got developed i think necessity is the mother of innovation as we wanted to move in this direction of online for time but we were busy building our business um so we we did not uh, but the moment i think march and then april started we realized that 
our ability to serve our partners comes from this ability of enabling the partners to do online right otherwise like we can't because people are not going out and people will go out in six months right? three months six months whatever but these businesses need to exist today we we, we sold this save the local uh, vouchers which was a campaign to say that get 50 percent off on your favorite merchant partners when they open you can use these vouchers right let them uh, enable them to serve. but you know we can go only so far like there needs to be business case that works out today uh, and that's how this this concept of online enablement came up once we started to do the online enablement we realized that the existing challenge in there are two kinds of challenges in the fnb category the challenge is that the marketing is being bundled by the existing players with the delivery capability right so you can't just take the delivery capability you have to take the full marketing act, right and that makes them feel that the price is right. the other side uh, and and that's we said okay if we decouple this this becomes a great way for us to provide them a service and also penetrate uh, on the other side what we realized is that and and there's massive inbound demand by the way on, because the whole market is trained on online delivery the moment they see that they now no longer need to pay that high rate for their organic customers also they're really happy to join so we are seeing a fairly like deep inbound on that but on the other side we realized that free as a market just needs to be service different for example if when i see a like a geo saying that we will enable the kirana it will be really hard for them to enable kirana they will be much better positioned to open their website as they've done which is geomart integrate that with their own existing retail and purchase directly from the manufacturer right that's a more cleaner method better fill rates better margins it works better working and enabling the kirana just requires a different approach um and we had built more tools already right for example this this manufacturing brand integration was already present we with our partners uh, were integrated into their post so 100% of whatever bills they were printing were coming to our back they were doing that because we had a relationship with them that if our manufacturing brand partner sells more then you get a part of that commission we earn something and we share something we share something with the consumer also but we share something with you so the data of skus uh, and pricing was already there with you yes exactly exactly right and we had a method to collect that data on sku and pricing at a store so all the stores that we are powering we just integrate our our utility on that and the moment the store starts we know what this store is selling and what it not our list that i spoke of those are smart lists those are not just universe they are actually custom to that merchant and what that merchant and that the moment we had that clarity i think the focus from the tech side on the product side right was, was pretty sharp a lot of this was done over the last few and we are in the market live kind of building this and the way we are seeing recovery pan out that while the traditional category food and fashion will take some more time right also to come back in the meantime we've got this entirely new engine that's come in for growth and together all of these okay so uh, who are the competitors for you first in your uh, previous like the already existing business of uh, uh, allowing offline merchants to do uh, intelligent marketing uh, and in this new business let's start with the the previous business like i don't think there are similar companies in the us right who do something like this no not not really not really uh use like doing marketing for retailers it, there isn't there is the reward program companies small retail but no one that is in the reads and stuff i think that pieces in different parts of the world were doing warning in some way but no one's kind of doing this exactly and you know our, it doesn't matter what means we use to get to an end right because the goal is to drive marketing for retailer and in the past there was for example 
ஆமா <laughs> <laughs> um in terms of competition i think your original question right um like there, there were many attempts at this space like uh, but very few seeded earlier on there was uh, um, there was abdelant first avatar which started this uh, that pitch. and uh, they subsequently pivoted because this is a hard to capture market right? and at that point mobiles didn't exist it's really hard to do this stuff without mobile right there was i think there was um, there was groupon which subsequently became nearby which it is uh, mydala which was so there were multiple attempts which were made. i think there was crownet also and uh, they were i i don't know finally if they went about building the local redemption cycle this piece around being able to get the retailer see the redemption and ado and making him believe a lot more in what he do that i i realized that that's a that's a problem which is which is as much operations right as it is just, so I, i would say there were these all of these different approaches uh, which were trying to deliver the same end outcome but they kind of came at it differently and they had thus different pros and cons about growers uh, would be something like this no growers also like uh, works with kiranas to fulfill orders no no not at all growers is actually completely vertically integrated to the point of manufacturing the products leave retailer uh, what kind of uh, transaction value have you seen so far from uh, this new business we are seeing that it has become uh, increasingly a large part of our business i'll just hold back on the on numbers there uh for at, at the moment but yeah i i we are we are super excited the rate at which this is growing this will be a meaningful part of our business mm, okay so uh, you know how so obviously now i have a fairly good understanding of how the covid and the uh, lockdown situation has impacted uh, magic pen how has is how has this impacted your thesis as a vc or you know are you still an investor in your personal capacity or uh, is magic pin your 100% right now no no magic pin is my 100% of what i'm doing of course uh, there is there is some uh, uh, of course lightspeed is like family so to that extent there is that alignment and interest in what is happening within the lightspeed portfolio and uh, the other is a few friends who i had invested in more as a friend and as an investor that i continue to be close to but yeah i think this is where i see most of uh, the action uh, and this is where i exchange most of the ideas like this fundamental shift towards work from home being a lot more and e-commerce being a lot more of our life right that will just like change the fabric of in more meaningful ways that doesn't mean existing stuff will, will happen right but we will find that new opportunities will emerge right let me give an example of that right for example think of um, the manufacturers so so far they had been happy to work with um, uh, let's say an amazon or a flipkart and sell through them uh, on the online channel because online channel is not as big but online channel is getting big they don't want to be then like upset of whatever the retailer is selling because the retailer they would be looking to substitute with a wide label as as the retailer can so they they see that as a risk and as an opportunity for them to build their own direct to so itc is doing that png is doing that hl is doing that all of them are br- br- building their direct to consumer shop which was not happening in the past because all of these companies would be working directly with the 
with the end uh, with with the distributors right but now they are building d2c what that does is also it means that if these companies are building d2c many more companies can build d2c and d2c would be increasingly uh, like and there are more brands even on our platform we help new direct to consumer brands launch because like, we are fairly effective efficient and also can segment the right population reach out to them but we will see a bunch of more as people spend time online just more direct to consumer brands come up we've seen some and we'll probably continue to see more and then i i think the other things that will happen related to this is that um that location will be less important location will support the big thing in retail i would say that as online increases right like that the preference for just that location will be less relevant the service provided would be far more valuable that means the rentals should go down which is something that's already starting to happen, um which make which is a silver lining uh for most retailers uh, but it also means that providing a great experience becomes more important and that experience is important the small retailer also I'll want to control my storefront to the extent i can right the online presence or what is it that i can provide as extra service which is the kind of saas that we were um that like whether it's chat inside that it's being able to send pictures of products right all of these things become a very important part so that is what we were attempting to do like build the social layer on top of it i think those concepts will have a lot more role to play as as kind of internet penetrates deeper and deeper so it's a great thing so while the shift of purely offline retail will leapfrog a little bit more towards online retail but a lot of that online retail can come to the same offline retail provider and i think that's where around enabling these retailers there are opportunities around uh, enabling demand to discover these retailers there are opportunities i think that's that's an area where there are there would be new things that will happen and entrepreneurs and companies that are around this area would find that like the next layer would be far more um efficient because it's technology oriented based on internet versus the previous build of retail which was very offline and thus slow moving so if you were uh, still at lightspeed what kind of companies would you have been hunting for right now to invest in uh, one is obviously d2c brands uh, besides that and i'm i'm focusing my answer on uh, on the retail side uh, if i kind of remove that lens i think there there would be there would be lot more stuff that i think uh, that will become available but if i stay on the retail side i would say that uh, this enabling the millions of small retail that is that's a core theme that and should be one i would make one more point that a lot of these retailers would fairly um value conscious figuring out business models is another important piece just by create a large base of retailers uh, it will not be sufficient but if you create that large base of engaged retail then i think there would be opportunities around providing marketing to them providing credit to them if you're in the way of the transaction next wave of whether it's uh, uh, i think credit marketing any of those pieces that can get built so yeah i think uh, retailers do um, the, a better job of servicing their customers uh, that that's a very hair and we saw this last time when monetization that all retailers suddenly understood online payment i think all retailers are likely to understand online commerce in this and that opens up just a big chunk right now around d to c brand to these retailers also one of the example conversations i've had with future forward version of we're doing we can tell let's say um of a, a chemist in a neighborhood that you know in your neighborhood this new medical device selling a lot here is the manufacturer for that uh, we'll provide you a credit line uh, from the manufacturer stock it at your store and we'll reach out to your 
relevant consumers in the catchment area then ask them to come and pick it up from and so can you some of this d2c but then use this massive offline distribution to create new value coming out i think there, there there would be companies that are working in different flavors of that it's hard for one company to do everything even though many would claim but i think companies which are able to solve point problems each of these so that was anshul talking about how he built a performance marketing engine for the offline retail world and how the pandemic actually opened up new opportunities for magic pin do check out the magic pin app on play store to find great deals and win cash back on your shopping if you like the founder thesis podcast then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing technology career advice books and drama visit the podium.in that is t h e p o d i u m . i n for a complete list of all our shows this was an hd smartcast original hd smartcast log on to hdsmartcast.com to listen to more such podcasts